and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. First up, when Guillaume Master Chef, the new Golgari cook from Strixhaven, starts making up those food te- tokens, he, uh, he knows that he's going to go asking Guillaume for seconds and for thirds. This is Matt Morgan. You know, contrary to popular belief, uh, when you pass away, it's actually uh, your, your eyes that die last because, you know, pupils are known to dilate. <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I can I can get behind that one. Did yeah. you did you see what I did there? I see what you did there. Love it. Up next, he doesn't care about Guillaume's food tokens at all, but he does want to know if Guillaume is hiding a rat colony deck underneath his chef's hat because then he can recreate the entire Ratatouille musical just in the commander deck. It's Dana Roach. Having seen the initial spoiled cards for Adventures in the Forgotten Realms, I'm getting kind of into the idea of a D&D set. So I, I, I'm i mostly hoping we keep getting really on-theme cards. Um, you know, Reign of Mountain Dew feels like the kind of thing that would really match the set. Storm of Cheeto Dust maybe is the kind of thing that I think is really going to fit in. So um, I am officially now on board with this whole thing. <laughs> Life imitates art and sometimes uh, i hope that your art imitates life dana that's terrific anyway this is the edh Reccast. edh rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks and here on the edh Reccast, what we like to do is give all that data a little more context dana tell us what is it that we're talking about in this week's episode yeah today we're going to be talking about the different kinds of card draw and as far as i can tell that's really only the one where you draw cards and lose life. So we'll discuss that. It should be a pretty fast show. Uh, good to know. Good to know where your head's at. Yeah, no, this has been a really big listener request is for us to cover some of the most popular types of card advantage spells in Commander, but also their place within the Commander decks and how they can work within Commander decks. Because card draw, as it turns out, is really, really nuanced. It's a pretty big blanket term for a lot that's going on underneath that umbrella. So before we get to our main topic, which should be a whole bunch of fun, we are going to pause real quick and give a huge thank you to the folks at the Command Zone podcast. They handle all of the post-production work on our podcast here, making it look as awesome as it does. And we want to thank our sponsors for the show, too. The EDH Redcast is sponsored by Card Kingdom and TCG Player. If you are not sure if the new portable whole card is from Forgotten Realms or from the Upper Deck 1991 Looney Tunes trading card series, Card Kingdom <laughs> will make sure you get the right card from the right set for the right price. Similarly, if you're worried the uh, Vorpal Forger ordering might accidentally be from the 1974 Alice in Wonderland Wonder Bread trading card set, <laughs> TCG Player will make sure you get the right one as well. Simply go to EHREC and click on the card in question, choose the vendor link down below, and doing so supports both the site and the show. Dana, that was the most magical sponsorship plug in the entire... Don't. Oh, man, I hope that people weren't skipping past the sponsorships so that they could hear that. That was terrific. I just read the copy they sent me, Joey. Uh-huh, I'm sure. Anyway, what, what else do we got going on, Matt? Well, all we have is just patreon.com slash EDH Retcast. <laughs> uh, there's nothing... Um, exuberant like dana's pitch there um my my live read today i'm sorry folks is uh is off kilter because dana just uh just slayed me as it were with Mm -hmm. this plus 20 words of of warding against me but uh anyways patreon.com slash edh retcast is where you can support us directly um we have all sorts of different patron tiers whether you want to join the discord community and and let dana know personally you know face to face that (laughs) hey 
um, this Vorpal Sword, what, what's going on here? Uh, Alice in Wonderland doesn't fit into these perfect fits that I got. Um, you can do that at <laughs> patreon.com slash EDH retcast. We even have a very special tier where we just give thanks to somebody for just being a patron. That's simple as it is. Um, it's pretty great. So Dan Mui, thank you so much for being a patron. We definitely appreciate it, Dan. And, uh, you know, we look forward to you joining and uh, letting Dana know that uh, whatever those special off-kilter TCGs that he got, um, they're, they're weird. They, they, they are weird indeed. Thank you so much, Dan. And there's also one more thing. I know we want to get to the show topic, but man, we are so excited for this other announcement here too, because one of our other sponsors here on the show is altersleeves.com. And you can visit altersleeves.com slash EDHRECCAST. And if you buy sleeves from there using that code, it shows your support for the show. That's not the only thing, though. It's not just like, oh, it's a sponsorship. No, we have our own custom sleeves that we are finally ready to announce. So you can go to altersleeves.com slash EDH Retcast and purchase your own custom EDH Retcast member sleeves. Each one of us has put our likeness onto a sleeve. The art is done by Andre Garcia, fan of the show, terrific artist. You can see each of us as one of our sort of signature cards, I might say. I get to be represented as a Sir Conrad the Grim, which is awesome. I get to do so much damage as Sir Conrad. Matt, not to be outdone, is an EDH reclamation sage. It's just terrific work. And Dana, I'm so happy with yours because all the card job that we're going to be talking about in this episode, we get to see you on a reliquary tower, making sure that you hold on to all of those cards. So yeah, if you're wondering why that reliquary tower is winning in the art, it's my fault for winning on it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is just so, so terrific. We are also going to be having a patron exclusive sleeve coming up soon. It's not quite done yet, but it will only be available for our patrons. It's really, really awesome. But these ones are available for you to buy. They ah, It's just such great work. Andre just hit it out of the park. And Matt, I look forward to using you as an EDH Reclamation Sage to destroy your own artifacts and enchantments in the next games we play. Well, I mean, I was actually already on a magic card. Um, Enthralling Victor is actually my likeness put onto a magic card. Um, but I, I didn't, you know, I asked them to change the face a little bit. I don't need people mm-hmm. coming up to me and saying, Hey, um, but I'm ready now to, to finally like announce my likeness is on the, is on a card. Mm-hmm. Matt, I definitely believe you. That was definitely your first appearance on a magic card. Definitely, definitely agree with you there. Anyway, folks, that once again is altersleeves.com slash EDHRECCAST. It's really, really awesome. But that's probably enough with all of the sponsorship stuff. Let's get to our main topic. We're talking about card draw, specifically the different types of card advantage stuff that goes on in EDH. Card draw is just huge, which is probably why this has been such a highly requested topic from listeners, because it's I mean, Dana, would you say it's probably like one of the most important categories in your deck? Yeah, persistent card draw is card draw attached to a permanent in play that's almost always repeatable. Um, my favorite one of these effects is probably definitely Sylvan the Library. Um, does all the things I want. It, it gives you card draw. It gives you card selection. You can you can choose to not draw and just pick the card you want. Once you pay life for cards, it interacts with cool things like abundance. Um, so, you know, if, if I'm playing a green deck, there's a really good chance I'm putting a silver, silver library into it. And Matt, your thoughts? Do you, are you a card drawing fiend like Dana is? I mean, I wouldn't say I'm a fiend like Dana. Dana des- definitely qualifies as like a mesmeric fiend for card draw. <laughs> um, I would say I'm definitely a, a fan. And, and I mean, it's just one of those major categories in any deck. Like you need to have some sort of way that you're you're keeping up with the advantages that other people are doing. Um, 
and and oftentimes like card draw is one way to kind of cover up a lot of those weaknesses that you might have in a deck no matter what colors you're in um finding a way to incorporate some sort of card draw or at least card advantage you know card, card draw isn't or card advantage i should say isn't always in just pure draw um and not to get like into the the card design theoretical areas but there's card velocity there's card advantage there's all sorts of different things that you can kind of categorize it into we're going to be a little more bird's eye view we're not going to delve deep into Mm -hmm. game theory on this episode oh very yeah very much like there are so many different types of card adventure spells out there thousands literally that we're invariably going to end up missing some of them yeah there's there's so many it's it's just impossible to cover everything about every aspect of card draw in one episode for a commander game (laughs) One thing worth noting about card draw here, um, obviously card draw is strategically um, beneficial to the deck you play. It's also fun. It's fun to draw cards, number one, but it's fun when you're playing a deck to to see more cards because the more cards you see, Mm -hmm. the more ways you have to play that deck out, the more paths you have that appear in front of you. Um, That's what allows you to see the new cards you added in, the cards you changed out, and lets you basically like take the decks down the different routes it can possibly go. It lets it play a different way every time. Yeah, no one wants to be stuck top decking over the course of an hour long game. So it is an integral way to make sure that you don't get stuck in exactly that scenario. But there are a lot of different ways that you can go about it. And different deck types want different types of card advantage. So that's kind of what we're going to tackle here. We'll go through some different types and hopefully highlight some of the different deck archetypes or different reasons that you might want those specific versions of card advantage. We'll start off with some consistent draw effects, the things that are going to sustain you over a longer game because they will, without you needing to pay a bunch of extra mana, for example, they'll just give you extra stuff coming in. I feel like Ristic Study is probably the first example that we have to shout out here. Or stuff like Phyrexian Arena, another really classic one where you draw extra cards and other people have to pay to stop you, or you'll just pay a little bit of extra life as it happens, but you're just always going to get cards coming in. And so as turns go on over the course of a long game, you'll get more cards. I'm a big fan of Sylvan Library in this category, which I mentioned. Uh, Two mana is very, very efficient for a card that lets you get two additional cards every single turn. I mentioned I love paying life for cards. It's life's a resource, and if you don't use it trading it for cards, someone's just going to take it from you anyway. So you might as well use it all up. Well, and and one thing I noticed about the cards you guys are throwing out is they're they're pricey cards because, like, card draw is just inherently so extremely powerful in a commander game that everybody wants these. And, you know, the more people that want these cards... They get a little more expensive, but I have one. Obvi- well, it's it's me, so it's on a creature, duh. Um, <laughs> but Nezahal Primal Tide is a fantastic card. Like if you are yeah. in the instance where you know, like Joey set up, you you're top decking, you only have one card. Nezahal Primal Tide is going to catch you up extremely fast. Uh, so Nezahal is just five blue blue for a seven seven Elder Dinosaur. It's kind of the same cycle that the uh, Itali Primal Storm was back from Ixalan. Um, but it's just the spell can't be countered. You have no maximum hand size, so you have Reliquary Tower type of effects built in. Um, and then whenever an opponent casts a non-creature spell, you draw a card. So it just they there's no relic there, there's no Ristic Study type of tax on it. It's just you're going to be be drawing cards right away. And then Nezahal also is kind of hard to remove. You you can discard three cards, and then you basically flicker Nezahal. So like th- there's built-in protection there. It's just it does so much, and it's a dollar compared to a lot of these other staples that we kind of mentioned already. Yeah, I like to call that one the grown-up version of Mystic Remora, which also sure. draws you cards when other people cast non-creature spells. But those ones, even though the first turn you play them, they're not going to net you any cards. Over the course of enough turns, they are going 
going to net you cards. And that can be really good if your deck likes to sustain itself. If you know for a fact that your deck is going to last a couple of turns longer, um, and it's not like a, a very aggro type of deck, that can really sustain you over the course of a longer game. And it's something that you can maybe manipulate. If you like having your card draw on creatures like Matt does, I love reanimating things like Nezahal all the time. Well, and the nice thing about Nezahal too is it scales with how powerful you know your opponents are like are playing. Mm-hmm. So if they're casting four or five spells per turn like you're drawing four or five cards and like just one turn of that like it doesn't matter if you don't get to untap with Nezahal because if they did that then I mean you already caught back up yeah but Matt since you talked about you know draw that is in some relation to creatures let's actually move to that because that is kind of its own category too card draw that happens when you play creatures or when your creatures enter the battlefield what are some examples that hop to your mind when it comes to that slightly different version of the category well I mean how much time do you have because this is where I could just (laughs) talk for a whole episode uh, but I, I think my favorite that's come out in recent years is Guardian Project. That's just an enchantment for three and a green. And man, if you're casting creatures, you're having them enter the battlefield. Guardian Project is gonna, just going to draw you a lot of cards. If you're playing 30, 35 creatures, uh, you probably want to consider Guardian Project and, and make that. I mean, it's a $10 card now, but like that's a major investment towards just the quality of your deck if you're casting that many creatures. It's already in over 36,000 decks. It's Guardian such, Project. It's that such an amazing card. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of these things kind of count for multiple categories. You know, Guardian Project is a permanent draw spell functionally, but it's also one that's, that's tied to a creature. It's a creature draw spell. Um, in this case, I would count it as a creature draw spell because it primarily cares about creatures. And that's where the, the ceiling is. Um, if you are playing in a heavy creature deck, that's what's going to turn Guardian Product into a crazy strong card. Oh, goodness. And things like this um, that reward you for doing the thing Green already wanted to be doing, in this case, casting creatures, um, are one of the reasons people tend to cite green as being the strongest color in Commander. Yeah, green will get card draw just tacked onto a random Zendikar Resurgent. And like that front-loading, like immediately refunding your creature when you've played the creature, that's huge because then even if you get blown out by, you know, board wipes or something, you've still got, you were rewarded with a card in hand just for playing the creature. Like that's not an effect that green has always had. Usually green would have to wait a turn to be able to draw cards off of his creatures. But now the card draw is coming front loaded. And I feel like that completely has changed the game for green and made it very, very powerful. I mean, considering that cantrips are a category all to their own, turning mm-hmm. every single creature into a cantrip is insanely powerful. If you're playing, like I said, even if you're playing 20, 25 creatures, uh, any of these effects can be, extremely powerful for you and you you can draw four or five cards very very easily over the course of just a couple turns yeah now there is a white version of this mentor of the meek which you can pay to draw if you've got tiny creatures i don't know if that one's falling out of favor for most people i feel like it is in my experience um but matt i i know that you have a, a particular penchant <laughs> for a um a version that is still not yet printed in paper called inspiring commander <laughs> Ah, uh, you're you're going to get me on an Azuri Claw progress style rant here. Um, uh-huh. Man, you, you are correct. Mentor the Meek has started to fall out of favor. It would have completely fallen out of favor if we could get Inspiring Commander. Um, that is a card that is only available on Arena for some reason. Um, mm. But that would be such a wonderful addition to Paper Magic. Um, so 
Watsy, if you're if you you're hearing this, which I know you are, you 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 love the EDH Redcast. <laughs> we know you do. Uh, but please, like, if a place for Inspiring Commander would be such a great addition to Paper Magic. Yeah, that that is a white card that draws cards when you get tiny creatures for free. Like, there's no extra mana payment. It yeah. just does it for you. Like, it's it's one of the best card draw spells in white that just hasn't seen paper print. Watsy, please. But instead please. of ranting about that, we'll move on to another type of card draw category. It's just some one shot one shot draw spells. Just quick refills that don't rely upon you having specific stuff in play or any specific life payments. Dana, talk us through a handful of one-shot draw spells that catch your eye. Yeah, in this category, you have things like Treasure Cruise or, or Dig Through Time, um, two cards that from the cons block that broke every format but Commander, essentially, <laughs> um, where they are just really good draw options. Um, just one of those weird quirks of Commander, I guess. Um you know, yes, you need things in your graveyard for them to be as efficient as possible, but Commander's a format where you tend to have things in your graveyard very, very frequently. Uh, what's nice about these is they're always going to get you stuff. Uh, you know, Guardian Project, for example, which we talked about, you do need to be casting creature spells to take advantage of that. Um, and that's not always something you can rely on if you don't already have cards in hand. You need cards in hand to draw cards. Treasure Cruise and Dig Through Time, you can just kind of cast them and come out ahead. And I feel like this is a category where we start to see some of the most diversity. Like Mystic Confluence is a counterspell that can also draw you cards if you need it in a pinch. Or there's Factor Fiction, where you kind of don't know what necessarily you're going to get. Uh, or X Spells, Pull From Tomorrow is another example. So there's a lot of variability when it comes to the one-shot draw spell options out there. Yeah, and the next category kind of has some overlap with this one too, where it's just you cast one spell and it leaves you with more cards in hand than before. But one that I love that was a challenge stats of mine a while ago, uh, Secrets of the Golden City. It's either a, a divination or it's better than a divination. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a, a great just one-shot effect to get you that quick jolt of card advantage back into your hand um, and you just keep trucking through the rest of the turn. Well, and already I feel like this is the category where we're starting to see some of the value that comes from having a diverse spread of card advantage effects within your deck. Harmonize is a color break by all means because it is a green card draw spell that doesn't rely upon you having creatures in play. But that is a nice piece of diversity, I think. Like that is a thing that you can use even if you've got no creatures in play compared to the other draw spells in your deck that might be dead if your opponents have been wrathing the board over and over again. So already we're seeing how it can be really important to have different types of these draw effects within your 99. I mean, this category and the next one are are 100%, you know, those Dana Roach specials, the the high floor type of cards where <laughs> you always know what you're going to get. You always know you're going to get some amount of cards for some amount of mana that that is an advantage on that single turn. That's definitely something I pay attention to for sure. You don't only want these kind of conservative draw effects in your deck. Um, that really limits your chance to hit a home run, to use a baseball analogy. Um, you do want plenty of these things that are the equivalent of, I guess, a single or a double, um, so you can get guys on base for when you hit a home run. Um, that's a are you really tortured are baseball you, analogy I, at this point. They're, they're, are you, these, these cards are Derek Jeter. They're not going to hit home runs all the time, but they're going to get on base every single time. Good job, Matt. Thank you. The, and, and Derek Jeter, for, for, for the Joseph that doesn't know, um, yep. is a baseball player who does sports. Thank you. I was just like, are you guys deliberately trying to confuse me? What's going on? I mean, Dana confused himself if you couldn't tell. I did. I I lost the narrative thread there by the end of the uh, baseball analogies. Well, let's let's ground Dana a little bit more, get get him back to to Earth um, by... 
giving him the category of some life payment draw options, which to my understanding, Dana, is apparently your favorite thing to do in Commander ever. I said it before, life is a resource, and if you don't trade it for cards, someone's going to take it. You might as well use it up. I like that philosophy a lot. Sylvan Library is also very happy that you feel this way. Absolutely. These are cards, they tend to be in black, although Sylvan Library is in green, kind of the weird old exception from back when the color pie wasn't really very carefully monitored. Um, but black tends to have effects that, that, that let you draw slightly more efficiently at the cost of giving up some life. So the, the kind of the efficient Holy Trinity I, I talk about are Knight's Whisper, uh, Sign in Blood, and Read the Bones. They're useful on turn two. They're useful on turn 15. As long as you have a couple of life to spare, you can get those cards in your hand. And they don't necessarily mess up your turn either. Like you can still play the spell you want to play and also cast those to come out cards ahead. That's that's interesting to know. But you also don't play as many lots of colors decks. So that might inform you there. Um, and th- these are just like, uh, I love I love these. I love Necropotence with all my heart. I love paying life to put a card aside and I'll put it in my hand at the end of it. Like that thing is so darn good. Matt, you don't seem to play a lot of black in your deck. So I feel like we're maybe outside of your comfort zone, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't, see, I don't know what you're talking about because the last time we played it, twitch.tv slash EDH retcast, um, <laughs> I was playing my Ukima and Kazar deck, which does play the, as Dana put it, the, the trinity of card draw with the painful truths and sign and blood cards. Um, mm. But one actually that has surprised me with how well it's been performing lately, uh, has been Stinging Study. Like, every time that I've seen that oh, card yeah. cast, whether it's for me or against me, um, that card has done really, really well. It's, it's from the new uh, Commander 21 set, uh, where it's just four and a black for an instant where you uh, draw X cards and lose X life, where X is the mana value of a commander you control in um, on the battlefield or in the command zone Mm -hmm. um that can be insanely powerful like if i had that in my vivictus as mati deck like that's that's lose six draw six at instant speed i can just hold up five mana and at the end of turn draw a bunch of cards like that's that's such a great effect yeah the danger with these of course is that there are games where you end up at three life and then you're like dana saying oh man i i can't draw extra cards because i don't have the life to spare and sometimes he's the reason that he's (laughs) at so little life because of how much life he's been paying to draw cards so again you probably want a good diverse spread if it's available to your deck you don't just want to be paying life to draw cards because that is while a big resource still a finite one so having some diversity there is Probably pretty important. See, Joey, where you see a challenge, I see an opportunity. Um, if you draw one of those cards and you're at one life, that's when you just go out on your own terms. Don't don't that's give fair. anybody else the satisfaction of killing you. I've actually been playing against Joey in a game where I was trying to find a way with a painful truth to manipulate my mana correctly so I could only lose one life and draw a card. <laughs> That's right, and you had an Ancient Tomb in play that was really giving you trouble with all of that. I feel like Ancient Tomb is your own biggest enemy in any deck you build, Dana. Um, It doesn't draw me cards, but it does uh, cost me life, which I guess is not the perfect transaction. Uh. Um, But it's definitely taken me from 40 to 22 in plenty of games. Indeed, indeed. But yeah, that that can be, I mean, Necropotence is certainly a name because this is a potent form of draw. You get to use a huge resource, but that's not, I think, the most potent, potent form of draw that I've ever seen. I'm talking about some 
cards that draw you stuff when you have a big board in play or big creatures in play. Matt, take us to our next category, do you think? I, I would love to. So th- this next category is kind of stuff that's dependent on what's on the board, um, whether it's creatures, any you know card type in general, um, stuff that requires something to be on the battlefield already, which, I mean, obviously I'm on board with. Um, so there's stuff that <laughs> in green, weird that I'm turning this to on the battlefield, talking about green um but rishkar's expertise like if we had to talk about a pet card this 100 would qualify for me um rishkar's expertise mm-hmm. is just four green green you draw cards equal to the greatest power of creatures that you control and you can cast a spell that costs five or less from your hand for free um this does many things but card draws just one of them but it kind of has a, a little brother little sister in uh, return of the wild speaker where you're just able oh, to yeah. draw a whole bunch of cards based off the biggest creature that you control. Uh, so the, the bigger they are, the better the spell performs. Um, these are just wonderful effects. Like if you're trying to just go over the top, either of these two cards are just great ways to do that. Yeah, there's a, a couple different variants in this board state dependent draw. There's there's things like Biden the Thassa or Coastal Piracy that draw you cards whenever you deal damage to to an opponent, and it's per creature. So like the wider you go, the more cards you draw. Those are really really effective in a token deck or any kind of a kind of a go wide swarm deck. So there's that kind of thing, and there's cards like Decree of Pain that draw you cards for every creature you destroy when you cast it. So you're gonna wipe the board anyway. You might as well draw a few cards. There's even stuff that cares not about the power of creatures that you play, but the stuff the number of creatures that you have. Shamanic Revelation, for example, is a really famous uh, card for green. But then there's also stuff, a classic one that, Dana, you will play is Minion's Murmurs. You'll lose life for this one, but again, you're drawing equal to the number of creatures that you have, and that can be a really important way to have your deck accelerate even further as well. So we talked about my favorite form of draw, and we talked about Matt's favorite form of draw, so I guess we're going to hand this off to Joey and let him talk about his favorite form of draw. <laughs> yes, thank you, Dana, because this is my favorite. This is, y'all, you guys are just objectively wrong. This is the best form of draw. It's death draw. Death-dependent draw is the best. Skull Clamp is so good. When your creatures die, you draw cards. Moldavaline Reclamation is so good. When your creatures die, you draw cards. It's so good. See, I, I, Joey, I thought you liked Moldavaline Reclamation, not because it draws you cards, but because you get to gain one life whenever creatures die. Like, that's that's the reason to be playing that card, right? Right? That card could make me lose life, and I would still... I play the uh, I play Midnight Reaper. That one makes me lose life when my stuff dies, but I still draw cards. That's worth it. I will lose life if I'm drawing cards when my stuff dies, because that will make a bunch of tokens, and then they will die, and I get to be the one who kills them. So even your best attempts to remove my stuff just ends up in my favor. I love this type of draw. It's probably a little bit more specific generally to an aristocrat strategy, but that is just how important card draw is to your deck, that you can shape it to a specific strategy that you're playing. Oh, man, I absolutely love this type of draw how do you guys not uh, you're missing out because well we already talked about why we love our our favorites you know you, you can do your thing that's that's allowed it's it's okay that you're wrong but there are actually believe it or not green spells not black but green that i enjoy in this category too so i i will mm. give it to you there are some cool effects um momentous fall i know mm. joy i know you love your sack outlets uh somebody yeah. targets one of my big spells uh, or one of the big creatures, I should say. Um, Momentous Fall is just a way to turn that that kill spell into some card draw and some life gain. Um, I'm a huge, huge fan of Momentous Fall. Um, not even as like a sack outlet, but just like, okay, you're you're blowing something up. Uh, I'm gonna get something on the way out. So yeah, you, I I do agree. Yes, 
you're going to kill something, but I'm going to get some value on the way out of the door. So momentous fault isn't the uh, only version of that in green. You have things like greater good, which is an enchantment mm. um, for two and two green, where you sacrifice a creature and draw cards equal to its power and then discard three. A discard's a downside sometimes, but like it's not a downside in some decks. In some decks, it's a fantastic upside. There's also a, a, a sorcery speed version in Life's Legacy where you can sacrifice a creature as well and draw a ton of cards and in green decks that are running monstrous you know green creatures life's legacy is a very efficient draw spell plenty of times too even more so if you're in one of those green style decks like joey tends to play where putting things in your graveyard is once again not a downside i just like it, it's so wonderful to see the different variants that you get even within these different subsections because some of them will go towards high power some of them will go towards just having a whole bunch and that's just the importance of like in my Marin of Clan Neltoth deck, this is the type of draw that I love to see, but I'm not going to play as many of some of the other types that we've talked about. Rishkar's Expertise doesn't do a whole lot in that deck, but some of these other death draw effects are way, way powerful. So it just kind of always goes against, there's never an auto-include type of card, even if there are staples of the format. Sculpting the card advantage selections that you have to your strategy will pay off in huge dividends. So we've talked about draw that like thematically matches the color where it tends to show up. So it makes sense for black to trade life for the power of card draw. It makes thematic sense for green to have its card draw tied to creatures. Um, the impulse draw that we often see in red really thematically fits the way red plays. It, it, you have to use that thing right now. Impulse is a perfect name for it. You exile those cards and you have until end of turn or oftentimes end of your next turn to use them or they go away. Um, it's a really useful draw mechanic and it really feels like something's kind of unique to red in a way that the, the creature draw in green and the life loss draw in black feel very unique to those colors. Mm-hmm. Matt, do you, you probably have favorites in this category, I'll assume. I mean, it, for as many cards as Joey can rattle off without even blinking uh, <laughs> when it comes to the black ones, like the, the, the red categories where I, I really think that, yes, like you said, Dana, Watsy's done a fantastic job in the past few years just giving red ways to have some sort of card advantage without just giving them, okay, well, you just draw five cards. Um, right. Stuff like the the impulse draw. Um, I know you, you're you a huge fan, Dana, of, of Jessica's Will, where you get to exile you know, the top X cards of your library get to exile or get some mana as well. Um, and if you have your commander, you get both. Like that's a card. I think all three of us have cast two fairly, fairly good uh, mm -hmm. uh, benefits from it. Um, but I think one of my favorites just for its versatility is Outpost Siege. That one personally, I, I find myself in version one of every single draft that has red. I'm putting Outpost Siege in there just because it's the classic, you know, it's the enchantment. It's, it's around for multiple turns. And just at the beginning of every turn, you get to exile the top card of your library and you can play it that turn. Like that's just an extra card draw, uh, kind of in the vein of Phyrexian Arena, except it's in red. That, that was the first red uh, draw card I saw where I was like, oh, they figured it out. They figured out how to get red card advantage, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they figured out how to do it in a way that feels really, really red. And I'm going to be putting this in every red deck until the end of time. And that's kind of how it's gone with, with Oppo Siege. And there are so many other versions of this, too, that I feel like red is able to swim in sustained card advantage. Sunbird's Invocation comes to mind, giving you extra free spells when you cast spells from your hand. Itali's attack trigger is 
off the charts, giving you free spells from the top of everyone's deck. This is a great way for red to not even just have the one-shot aggro stuff that we would typically associate it with, but also to have sustained duration throughout the game so that it isn't stuck top decking all of the time. This is uh, just as well as a revelation. So yeah, a whole lot of love has got to go to this type. It definitely feels really, really well encompassed for sure. We've hit a whole bunch of card draw categories. Well, let's take a little breather here and maybe challenge some stats. Yeah, I mean, what what else are you going to do once you've drawn all those cards? You're going to play the really cool cards that you've drawn, right? So yeah, let's let's move to that. Take a quick break from all of those and challenge the stats because there's just so much data on EDA track, but we don't always agree with it. Sometimes cards see too much play or too little play, so we like to challenge those. Dana, do you got a good challenge to start us off this week? I do, and it is a card draw related challenge to stats. Ah, I see um, what you did The card I'm talking about here is Infiltration Lens. It's a one-mana artifact from way back on the Mirrodin block. Uh, it's an equipment, and it says whenever equipped creature becomes blocked by a creature, you may draw two cards. And it has an equip cost of one. So it's very efficient to cast and very efficient to use. Um, the problem with it is people are going to, generally speaking, not want to block your creature um, unless they absolutely have to because drawing two cards is a lot of cards to have to sacrifice to somebody. Um, however, there's a commander from um, 2014, Audric Master Tactician, who has first strike. He's a 3-4 for a two white-white and has some very, very important text here. Whenever Audric Master Tactician and at least three other creatures attack, you choose which creatures block this combat and how those creatures block. Object decks tend to go very wide. They tend to be soldier, tribal, or token decks, um, oftentimes a combination of those two things because there's a lot of soldiers out there. Mono-white also tends to struggle to draw cards. It's a perfect combination. You put Infiltration Lens on one of your 1-1 uh, chump soldier tokens, attack with you know three or more creatures, and have someone block that one soldier with everything. The poor soldier sacrifices its life and you draw 8 or 10 or 12 cards. Uh, it's an amazing card in Odric Master Tactician decks. And for some mysterious reason, it's only in a 21% of those lists. So I think if you are playing Odric as your commander in mono white and your deck is going wide, which it almost definitely is, you should be running Infiltration Lens and people should be running it at a much higher rate than 21%. All right. Well, Dana, my challenge for this week isn't quite the card draw spectacular that you've pulled off there, but it is an artifact that provides you with some stained, sustained advantage. So we'll see what you think of this one. Comes from one of our patrons, Han Shot First from our Discord. Mentions Isochron Scepter has a really fun non-infinite home in the commander Gargos Vicious Watcher. Gargos Vicious Watcher is that Hydra that can fight stuff if you target it with your own spells, which means that it is typically full of a whole bunch of little instants that let you target your own creatures. Stuff like withstand death, for instance. Just a bunch of little things here and there that will give it hexproof or give it a nice buff, but that also has some extra benefits to have cargos do some extra fun things. And Isaac on Scepter is a perfect thing to pair with those because you can exile one of those two mana or less instants onto the Isaac on Scepter and then you can cast it over and over and over again to perpetually protect your commander and to have it keep fighting things over and over and over again. 
Currently, Hanshot First points out that there's only 13 Gargoyle decks that are running Isochron Scepter, and since there are an average of about 10 small instants within the Gargoyle's deck, it's got a lot of targets that it could use. Hanshot First, I'm really liking your challenge. This is some sustained advantage that is going to be really pesky for your opponents. Well, well, this week, I don't really have a, a card advantage-based challenge of stats, but I do have one that actually, it's a card that we've been pretty low on kind of as, as a show for a while, but I do think that it's it's finally found a home. So if you haven't checked out the articles over edhrec.com, uh, Jevin Lordy does a really good series called Challenge of Stats, where he basically goes through and challenges stats that he doesn't quite agree with. Um, it's it's a novel idea. Some people have tried it before. <laughs> Hasn't really worked for them, though. But Jevin does a really great job. Um, he's got some great guests. He does, you know, he had one more mana on for a recent article. Uh, he had Chase uh, at Mana Curves on Twitter. Great friend of the podcast. She's helped it with a couple articles, too. Um, just really great work. But Jevin finally found a home, I think, for Opal Palace. So Opal Palace is an old, old pre-con card that taps for colorless mana, or you can pay one and tap it and you add one mana uh, for any color in your commander's color identity. And then if you spend it to cast your commander, it enters with plus one, plus one counters equal to the number of times it's been cast from the command zone. So it's not a great card. It's color fixing, kind of. But one deck that I really do think that it shines that he points out is in Lisa Shroud of Dusk decks. Um, so Lisa, Lisa is back from Commander Legends, um, is two white, white and a black for a 5 5 angel. It says you can pay two man or pay two life rather than paying command tax every time that you recast Lisa. And she also has Flying and Lifelink. And then whenever a player casts a spell, they lose two life. So you see a lot of life gain decks built around Lisa, but also just being able to put plus one, plus one counters on a commander that is going to get targeted a lot, but you also recast a lot. Uh, Opal Palace has a chance to put quite a few plus one, plus one counters every time Lisa comes back into the battlefield. Uh, Jevin points out it's only being played in 12% of Lisa decks. And I do think that this is a opportunity for Opal Palace to be played more than that, where otherwise I think typically we wouldn't say Opal Palace is really a, a great card in 2021. Yeah, it sets you behind on mana to get that advantage for the color fixing. So it's not usually a good place for it, but I can see it there because being behind on the mana there, you're still avoiding the mana tax with that commander. Right. Um, so I can see it, but also Matt, I do have to nitpick your delivery there. You didn't have the obligatory, you are tearing me apart, Lisa, moment. And um, Well, I was going to say her, her, her name is pronounced Lisa, like from Sound of Music, but I don't think that works either. I call it, I, I say Liesa, but I, I, I don't know, I feel like I've completely... I feel like I've completely lost the thread of this. Anyway, appreciate the challenge. So, okay, in the first half of the show, we covered some of the more classic forms of card advantage, but we're not out of them just yet. And we'll go through a handful of other versions of card advantage, maybe some card selection variants out there that also definitely come up in the course of EDH games. Dana, take us to a new category. Tell us about cantrips. I mean, D&D is coming up as a set after all, and I think that that's where cantrips originate as a name. So it feels appropriate, right? It It does. Um, cantrips are very, very efficient spells generally. Um, they don't really put you up cards. They don't give you card advantage. They give you, um, card quality basically. So like to use brainstorm, for example, um, instant speed, one mana, you draw three cards and then put two cards back from your hand on top of your library. Um, so yeah, you're drawing three cards, but you're not getting three cards ahead. You're losing brainstorm and you're putting two back on top of your library. Um, so it's, it's a good spell, particularly if you're like doing top deck manipulation or if 
you have ways to shuffle away the cards that you put back on top, assuming you don't need them. Um, but it doesn't like get you ahead. So, so it's, it's kind of a, a, little, a little more niche here. Yeah. And Commander, when you don't have a ton of shuffle away effects, you can brainstorm lock yourself. So Matt, I feel like you're probably a bigger fan of the stuff like the ponders and the preordains in that case. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and this whole category, I, I struggle to say it's card advantage. This is more card yeah. selection or, or card velocity, like ways to get through your deck. Um, but believe it or not, there are non-blue ways to kind of quote-unquote cantrip. Um, cathartic Reunion. Um, there's a lot of different effects in red that you can discard a card to, to draw multiple cards. Um, that's one of my favorites, especially in a blue deck, actually, with my Riel the Everwise deck. Uh, cathartic Reunion, even without Riel's uh, static ability, is just a good way to get rid of some unwanted cards and then just refresh that hand with, with you know three new cards. Uh, that's the kind of cantripping that I like a little bit more than in, in the, the blue versions that we often think of. Well, and I'm not sure if that counts as cantripping so much as a different category for rummaging or for looting, for sure. drawing and discarding or discarding and then drawing. And in that same classic vein, you've got your faithless lootings as well. So it's pretty famous in red, but there's also blue versions. Dana, I know you are a huge fan of Charter Course. Yeah, it's an efficient way to get cards ahead if you want to get cards ahead. And if you want to put a card in the graveyard to do Joey kind of stuff, um, you have that option. So mm-hmm. it lets you kind of flex back and forth and, and, and you can make the choice about how you want to handle that. And that seems to me, just to take a brief pause about the ways that we ourselves are playing some of these card advantage effects, the slimming down of your card draw uh, advantage effects, Dana, in your decks, just slimming down to the the chart of course or the Knight's Whisper, like you seem to really love those really cheap versions of card draw spells, whereas someone like Matt seems to really like the really big Harkin ones like the Rishkar's Expertises of the world. Uh, hold what is a Hurkin <laughs> spell? I, it's, I need to know. It's like a Hercules, like a Hercules recall, but it's nothing like that. It's actually completely different. Oh, I'm I'm just befuddled by whatever that word was supposed to be. But I I, I do like my <laughs> my big crazy spells like Rishkar's expertise. But decks need some of these lower, you know, and and just mana efficient ways to kind of get some some sort of card selection. Mm-hmm. Um, Careful Study is a, a great card just because it's a good way to churn through and just find answers. Sometimes you can't afford to spend five, six mana on a card draw spell. So you need to have some sort of balance between some of these one and two mana ways. To just kind of get through your deck, get that engine going without you know taking too much time to set up for the other things that you're trying to do because you can't always just spend all your mana or in Dana's case, all of your life just trying to draw cards. <laughs> right. right. But these are definitely the types of effects that are seeking to take advantage of the fact of discard. I'll play the careful study in a reanimator deck, for example. Cathartic Reunion is really famous for Duretti to pull artifacts back out of the graveyard once he's discarded them direct from hand. Well, and speaking of spells that are good at putting things in your graveyard sometimes, um, wheel effects are super well-known commander effects so much so that they have an archetype and multiple decks built around casting them. The, the ideal use of these is because A, you want cards in the graveyard, or B, because you've kind of emptied your hand out and want to refill it um, in a way that's more advantageous to you than it is to everybody else. And if you don't have $1,000 laying around, you don't have to only play Wheel of Fortune. Um, There's Wheel of Misfortune, and then there's Wheel of Fate, which are two kind of spinoffs of the original card, but they essentially are doing roughly the same thing for 
pennies on the dollar quite literally. Yeah, Reforge the Soul being another classic example. And I feel like we probably do have to mention Windfall here as well. Yeah. Dana, I was under the impression that you actually kind of hate these versions of card advantage effects, though. I don't. I've seen people misplay them a astounding amount of times. Um, it, it's a way to put 21 cards into the hand of people who want to kill you. Yes. Um, and that's very, very risky. You have to have a plan for how that can be turned to your advantage. Because if you're just casting wheels, hoping to draw seven with, with no way to kind of deal with the fact that you're giving away 21 cards, that can go very, very badly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I've seen it like cast into a smothering tithe before. The only thing worse than giving your opponents 21 cards is giving them 21 free mana along with 21 cards. But but if you find a way to use them um, in a way that's definitely skewed towards, a, towards your own advantage, they're monstrously powerful. Yeah, I, I think I only play one in any of my decks, and and, and that's Reforge the Soul in Valduk. Um, as much as like Riel loves discarding cards, um, I have a Wheel of Fortune in there just because I happen to have one from years and years ago. But if I were building the deck now, I would not put it in there just because of the, all the reasons that Dana, you just mentioned. Yeah, wheel effects don't feel to me reliable enough. They feel scary to me. This is the type of draw that if I'm building a mono red deck, I'm not going to reach for any of those because I feel like we've got other options that we can pick instead. And I'm afraid of everyone else drawing a collective 21 cards that they will probably point in my direction because I'm the one who gave them that for free. So wheels feel to me like you should probably be trying to manipulate them a little bit more yourself with your own smothering tithes, for instance, um, as kind of a deck archetype instead of just a general draw spell. That's just my take, though. Um, kind of related to wheels are symmetrical draw effects, the Temple Bells of the world. And I guess we could also probably include the new Secret Rendezvous card in here. Temple Bell, of course, can tap to have everyone draw a card. And Secret Rendezvous is a new three-mana white spell where you and target opponent draw three cards. I'm less of a fan of these as well. Is there, Matt, do you champion these? Any love for them or? Yeah, so I've, I've actually kind of warmed up on Secret Rendezvous. I remember the first time that I saw it, I was not a fan at all. But if, if we're comparing it to stuff like Wheels, where you, you're giving your opponent cards, um, this one at least limits it. So if you're playing Wheels as kind of a, a draw effect and you're in white, Secret Rendezvous actually isn't so bad because you're gaining just as many cards as your opponents, whereas... When you cast a wheel effect, they're getting you're you're giving three times the cards as you get, where a secret rendezvous at least is a one for one. Um, I still don't know if it's great, but I do think if you're playing some sort of a symmetrical where people are getting equal resources, this one at least is a one for one ratio instead of a three for one. So I don't hate it as much because with Howling Mine and, and some of those other effects, you're giving out three cards instead of one card. I mean, you're still spending the card on Secret Rendezvous, though, so I don't know. Like, they get three free cards, and you had to spend a card to do it. If you're in mono-white, though, you can be a little desperate. Well, you can also control it, too. The, the problem yeah. with Howling Mine is you can't stop it or you can't control who gets the cards. Yeah. Now, if there's a person who's ahead or pulls ahead, they're also going to get a bonus card constantly. Um, secret rendezvous, you can control a little bit. Like you can give those three cards to the person who you've made a deal with, or you can give those three cards to the person that's going to die next turn anyway. Um, so like the downside of giving away those cards in secret rendezvous, because you can pick the person getting them, um, I think has a lot more potential to be less hurtful than something like a temple bell or a howling mine where, where you have no control over it for the most part. 
all right, fine. I'll be the jerk. I think this card is not usable. <laughs> like, That's, I don't. That, you can be wrong. You're allowed <laughs> that right. I I think I, I think this card it it's not as bad as a lot of people had the initial reactions of, but I also don't think it's as great as other options that you might have. Um, I think it's a perfectly fine card, but like Dana said, like the the fact that you can give it to the person who's going to die on their upkeep. It makes it inconsequential at that point. So I, I think there's enough ways that you can control it in white decks um, where it's the downside isn't near as heavy as some of the like the Howling Mind type of effects. I, I don't like draw spells that cease to be uh, good when I am down to a one on one. That sounds like a, a spell I do not want to cast when I'm down to a one on one. That's that's a lot of cards, though. <laughs> Three cards to my opponent when I'm done with one on one. That makes it equal, and the equal is the thing that you said you were you were afraid of. I I hope that Wizards is interested in more than just this version of card draw for white because I feel like this one will have a lot of problems built in, I guess. There's also a lot of other things that they've explored. Uh, stuff that kind of enemy-dependent draw is another category that I guess we could label here. The Mangara, I feel like, deserves a sort of a shout here as another way of drawing cards in white, where if an opponent has cast a second spell, you'll be able to draw a card. And there are a bunch of other types of effects out there in the world that depend upon what your opponent does for you to draw cards. Sire of Stagnation is another example that comes to mind, where when your opponents play lands, you'll be able to draw cards. Mangara, I feel like, has also been a bit more of a dud in my experience as well, even in mono-white. Dana, I'll pass it to you. Do you have positive uh, impressions from Mangara? Is this a good experiment that you want to see more of, or was it not enough? What do you think? Yeah, I tend to not like draw attached to creatures for the most part, um, to the point where like when I'm tallying up my draw sources in a deck, I don't count draw on creatures. Um, not that I'm not going to take it, but like... When I want to make sure I have X amount of draw effects in a deck, I just don't count that Consecrated Sphinx in my Sphinx deck, for example, hmm. because I, I feel like that stuff is too easy to remove. Um, you know, yeah, you can remove that Guardian project, but it's much more difficult to remove an enchantment than it is to remove a creature. So I kind of look at that like a bonus. Anything I get from a creature that draws me cards is just kind of gravy. I'm not counting on that to be something that's going to consistently give me cards. Yeah, the fact that they're answerable it does put a damper on a lot of these types of cards. I, I do agree. It's a little fragile. It's a little hard to do unless it's like an ETB type of trigger on a creature. Um, psychic possession, I think, is something that is probably a little more reliable because, it, yes, it is enemy dependent, but it's an enchantment versus a creature. So it's a little bit harder to get rid of. Um, and you can pick whatever opponent is that you think is going to be uh, gaining the most card advantage so you're able to just keep pace with them. Or if you're Dana, you select the person that's going to draw zero extra cards all game. Um, and in, ca in that case, it's me and I draw just zero. Until that Decree of Pain comes down and you can draw 10 or 12 or 14 or whatever. And then, that's then true. That's your true. choice looks brilliant. <laughs> then, then we have a party and high five. For reference, folks, they are referencing games that we've played on twitch.tv slash EDHRECcast. Psychic Possession is a really good enchantment. When they draw, you draw. And there's a lot of stuff that you can definitely glean off of that for sure. So yeah, enemy dependent is a, a sort of thing. But that is also something to be aware of because that's putting your opponent in control in certain ways. And that can also be a little bit rough. So... I kind of want to move real quick to reasons why I don't like some of the options that we discussed, Angara or Secret Rendezvous or Temple Bell, um, as things to pursue for Mono White, because I feel like we've actually got other artifacts out there that kind of shore up some of these problems instead. I'm thinking of Maze Mind Tome. I'm thinking of Endless Atlas. I'm thinking of Tome of Legends. I'm thinking of Sandstone Oracle. I feel like there are actually some really good cards out there for Mono White. Well, you threw a lot of cards out there, so let's kind of cover those real quick. Uh, I, I, Tome of Legends is one that's great. You know, it comes into play with counters and you can 
tap it to draw cards. And then whenever you get your commanders uh, attacking, you're going to put those counters back on there. So you're able to just kind of keep a steady flow of card draw coming with Tome of Legends. And that's one that I, I think both of you, I haven't had a chance to cast it yet, um, but both of you on twitch.tv slash EDHRECcast have used Tome of Legends, and it's been great just every single time we've seen it. As kind of a barometer for how effective Tome of Legends or Endless Atlas are, I've seen them show up in decks that aren't just like mono white or mono red. And after seeing them perform in those decks, I, that, that seemed like a reasonable choice. So <laughs> if a draw spell is good enough to run in non-red or non-white decks, particularly non-white, I guess, these days, if it's good enough outside that, it's definitely good enough in those white decks. That's definitely a mark of, of it being a successful and effective draw spell. Well, I'm thinking also of the card Coveted Jewel. It enters the battlefield and it draws you three cards and it taps for three mana. But if someone else attacks you and goes unblocked, they will steal it from you. There are ways that you can actually be tricky with this. The new Osgir, the Reconstructor, he can exile that from the graveyard to get two copies of that card, draw six cards right off the bat, and then immediately sacrifice those if he wants to so that no one can steal them. Like, there are some clever tricks that you're able to pull off even within the Boros colors that I feel like are just absolutely terrific for folks to capitalize on that don't require some of those other sort of clunkier spells like the Rod See, I'm going to take all of the arguments you used against Secret Rendezvous and apply it to Coveted Jewel. I don't like Coveted Jewel because of all those extra steps you have to take to prevent your opponents from getting that. Like that, that requires a few extra moving parts versus a one shot. But like, there are different you know cards in this category that can shore up weaknesses without giving you know bonuses out. Uh, embrace the graveyard, Matt. I encourage you. I embrace the graveyard, but like like I said, there, there's just a whole bunch of extra work you have to go through to make sure Coveted Jewel doesn't backfire. But it's and worth that, it. that's that's where I get that's where I get discouraged. Oh, but it's worth it. You got to sacrifice outlet right there in the command zone. I think it's great. This kind of does. Th- then that means you, that means you can't always play it. I I I'm. If if you don't like Secret Rendezvous, I don't like Coveted Jewel. We'll just we'll leave it at that. I, I don't I like Coveted Jewel in that specific type of deck. And that is kind of where I want to turn the conversation to. Is that there these draw effects that we've talked about, they don't just all go in all of the places. There are also archetype specific versions of draw that can also really shape. Like I mentioned with the death draw for aristocrat strategies earlier, there are some other archetypes that we haven't even gotten to yet that have their own forms of draw all to themselves. Dana, I think you've got a couple of uh, car- a couple of decks that fit these categories, like Enchantress, for example, that probably have some different examples going into all of those. So the, the really obvious, you know, way back in alpha strategy specific draw effect <laughs> um, will be Verdurn Enchantress from way back in the day. That's that's so effective. There's an entire uh, a type of deck, Enchantress decks, named after that card. Um, it's it's. Two uh, green mana and a colorless for a, a zero-two creature. Whenever you cast an enchantment spell, you draw a card. Um, since then, there's been a handful of different enchantresses or or cards that do a similar enchantress thing printed. So in that kind of deck, you you know cast an enchantment and draw two or three cards, depending on how many you have in play, or more sometimes. Um, many of which wind up being an efficient enchantment that you cast to draw three or four more cards and, and continue down that path. Um, it's very, very effective. And this isn't just limited to Enchantress type, you know, type of effects. Um, pretty much any strategy has some sort of card draw option like this, you know, depending on what you're trying to do. Um, if you're playing an artifact deck, for example, a challenge of stats that I, I mentioned a while back and then Dana has actually latched onto is one with the machine. So if you're playing artifact spells or artifact decks, I should say, 
Um, one with the machine is kind of like a rich cards expertise where it's three and a blue and you can draw cards equal to the highest converted mana cost or mana value, excuse me, mana value now um, of any artifact you have on the battlefield. So if you have like a dark steel forge on the battlefield, it's just four mana to draw seven. Um, so a lot of those artifact decks, you know, if you average, you know, five or six CMC, um, it's pretty reliably going to leave you paying, you know, drawing more than one card per one mana. It's just great. Or also, if you just want a, a quick one-shot type of card, um, Thoughtcast is also great. It, it just has affinity for artifacts to draw two cards. So you can pay oftentimes one blue mana to draw two cards. It's a pretty great rate. Well, on the subject of artifacts, there's also total equipment strategies out there that can rely upon the amazing cards like Pure Steel Paladin to draw cards whenever you've got equipment in play, or even equipment themselves. Mask of Memory is a card draw on hit effect that you can play in any equipment deck regardless of the colors to keep up on card advantage when you're just hitting people, which sounds like a lot of fun to hit people and draw cards. Matt, I think I see why you like the combat step as much as you do now. It's it's wonderful. I keep telling you. Uh, I mean, just blowing people up and then uh, drawing cards for it. It's, it's just getting advantage. There's also some things I care about the, the tribe you're choosing. Um, Kindred Discovery in blue, three double blue. And whenever a creature of the chosen type attacks or enters the battlefield, draw a card. That's insane <laughs> in, in, in token decks, especially where you're making one kind of token. My Talran deck, whenever a Drake swings or comes into play off a spell, I draw a card. That's bonkers. Yeah, the fact that like you can cast that and just go to combat, and if somebody doesn't answer it and you draw however many cards, that's so stinking good. Uh, just, yeah, it enter the battlefield or attack. Um, a lot of people forget about the attack trigger on Kinder Discovery, and it, they should not forget that at all. That one's insane. And tribal strategies can open up tons of other doors from Vanquisher's Banner, whenever you cast one of the specific creature type, you'll draw a card, to Distant Melody. Choose a creature type and draw equal to that creature type. So once you start finding those specific archetypes, the draw options can become even more specialized. And y'all, we've only been talking about stuff that happens in the 99. We haven't even gotten to the commanders that draw cards. But that's just how cool it is within this game that so many of these different archetypes can have all of these different ways for you to acquire card advantage and to keep up. And I just love seeing each one of those expand in all of the ways that they can. Yeah, one effect that Watsi had, like to their credit, has done a really good job at is finding specific ways for for themed decks to kind of keep pace, whether it's a tribal deck or whatever that that theme of the deck is. They're tying some sort of card draw to that, which is nice to see that you know something very very specific like your. Uh, landfall deck, you know, that's pretty specific, is able to draw cards with stuff like AC, Tyrants of Gary Straits, um, because Simic needed more card draw when lands into the battlefield. <laughs> um, right. But yeah, it, it like there, there's a lot of different ways that just whatever the theme of your deck is, you can probably find some way to, to draw cards and, and get some sort of card advantage from doing that specific thing. Yeah. And the main thing, the main takeaway now that we're kind of wrapping up, because y'all, that was a lot of different types of card draw, but like, that's how many, and, and we missed some, like there's a lot more out there. And as you get even more niche with your archetypes, you might find even other versions out there. But it's important to me when deck building to keep in mind that there are so many types of card advantage effects out there and to diversify the options that I'm putting into my deck. There are some decks where I'll want to be very specialized, but even within specialized decks, I'm going to have a good variance. If all of my card draw effects are long-term draw, then that could leave me kind of stuck when I need a quick burst. Or if all of my draw depends upon me having creatures in play, well, all my opponents have to do is kill all my creatures and I'm just stuck top decking basically forever. So having that variance, having a spread is just super vital for Commander. This is one of the first things that jumped out at me when I 
first started playing Commander, um, I remember initially kind of thinking, oh, I can just run a bunch of these like Blue Sun Zenith or Stroke of Genius kind of effect cards. And like, I'll get to that point in the game where I can, you know, sink eight mana into it or whatever and draw a full grip and like jump so far ahead of everybody else. Um, it doesn't really work that way because you need to stay alive by drawing a few <laughs> cards before you can get to turn eight or nine or 10 or whatever. Um, that isn't to say those aren't effective cards because they absolutely can be, especially if your deck does something that does some kind of double duty where it can make infinite mana and you can use them to force someone else to draw and die. But if you're just relying on being able to cast these giant extra spells to fill your hand, you're going to be in trouble surviving long enough to get to the point where you can actually cast them. Yeah, for for every Rishkar's expertise, you do need some sort of early game way to 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 get to the point where you're casting your six mana spells. Like like Dana said, um, for every for every alley, there's got to be an oop. Um, <laughs> so yeah, just it, there's a little bit of a give and take, and and it takes time. Like. Like we always say on the show, like it, it's more art than science. There's no formula for what your card draw suite needs to look like because sometimes you need it built into a lot of your creatures like Joey's Necromancy decks. And sometimes like where you're Dana, you just you need those short bursts just to keep you pacing and then you can set up for your your bigger turns later on. So a, a lot of it is contextual and, and we mentioned stuff for specific types of decks and we mentioned some more general stuff and chances are you need both. Mm-hmm. And again, this wasn't even with us discussing the card draw that comes within the command zone when your commander can draw cards. I think we'll have to save that for a different episode, but it would be really interesting to see how that affects the type of card draw that decks are running. Card draw is just huge in Commander, and we hope that this episode has given you a bit more tools to help find the different types of draw that might feel best within the particular archetypes or the different strategies that you happen to be playing. And Matt, when we next battle... If it ends up in a tie, I hope that we'll call it a draw. A, a card draw? A card draw. Did I not dad joke right? Am I bad at this? You you, you did. You did. That was fine. That was that, no, was, that was like baby's first dad joke. Baby's first. <laughs> <That was good. laughs> you're, 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 the, you're the little Padawan that could. You're, you're, you're finally learning. We're, we're proud of you for it. Wait, is it a Padawan? A little Dadawan. A little Dadawan. A, a little Dadawan. There me. we go. There he, we go. He took it from me. Well, on that absolutely confusing note, after talking about all of that card draw, how about we run out of cards in our deck and we'll call this episode to a close. What do you say? Fellas, That's if funny. any of our listeners want to get in touch with us where is it that they can find you well matt that was a perfectly fine segue don't even let's tell us where can folks find you well you can find me at datamus 55 uh, or, sorry mathemus 55 on twitter uh, m-a-t-h-i-m-u-s 55 uh, and don't forget twitch.tv slash edh recast you may have heard uh, we are playing games every wednesday evening we have awesome guests every single week this upcoming week actually um, one of our very special editors from over at the command zone murph is going to come on and, and play some paper magic we're very much looking forward to that so tune in wednesday evenings uh, for all the great webcam games and dana you can find me on the Twitter birds at Dana Roach. You can find me every Friday on the other podcast, CMDR Central. And once a month, I'm writing articles for EDH Rec and for Commander's Herald. And you can find all of us collectively at patreon.com slash EDH 
And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter, and you can find the cast at EDHRecCast on Facebook and on Twitter. And if you've got a question, you can contact us at EDHRecCast at gmail.com. Once again, we want to thank the folks from the Command Zone for handling the post-production work on our podcast, and we want to thank our sponsors, TCG Player and CardKingdom.com. You can find them using the price info links on EDHREC or by visiting CardKingdom.com slash EDHREC to show your support for the show. And don't forget, you can now go to altersleeves.com slash EDHRECCast and find our custom alter sleeves so you can play your deck in style while also showing your support for the show. And don't forget to stay tuned for our Patreon-exclusive alter sleeve coming soon. Listeners, we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. Wreck your deck.